0: Throughout this episode, we'll cover many different aspects of innovation and design, and we'll bring it back again and again to coffee, because there is an exciting amount of room for innovation and design in coffee. We'll look at ideas and theories like the five levels of innovation, and we'll apply this to espresso. But we'll also look at ideas uh, and phenomena, such as a great idea that was simply ahead of its time. How do you tell the difference? This is a relatively long conversation. It could have been a, a lot longer, Uh, and I really, really enjoyed it uh, and I hope you do too. Along the bottom of this video, I'm breaking it up into the different segments uh, so you can skip to the parts of the conversation that you find the most interesting. Welcome, Luke. Thank you, Maxwell. Yeah, uh, thanks for joining me. We're actually (laughs) both not far from each other at all uh, because we both live in Bath.
1: Yeah, we've both got the same gloomy weather today. Lots of clouds and drizzle and rain.
0: Um, I don't know how long we've known each other now it's not that long
1: no maybe a year year and a half maybe something year. like that yeah
0: and I think that happened uh I mean you did reach out about a coffee project you were working on but what I distinctly remember was your very generous unsolicited unsolicited 20 page design water. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah I did send you um I did send you an opinion piece didn't I it was, uh... yeah,
0: it was great it was great but um yeah, it was really valuable for me because You know, your background is in uh, innovation design, but particularly um, consumer products.
1: Yeah, consumer products, that's right.
0: So you uh, worked uh, in the automobile industry for Jaguar Land Rover, and now you work on all sorts of different projects, but nearly always thinking about what the customer, you know, what's great for someone, right?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: And um, obviously, I think you've got an interest in coffee, right? So there's a natural crossover. Mm. Um, When did you get interested in coffee?
1: Oh, it was when I was working at Jaguar Land Rover. Um, so it's probably five or six years ago now. Um, and it was the classic, you know, lots of engineers working in an office kitchenette sort of style you start to hear the Porlex hand grinders and then the aero presses start stacking up. And yeah, I think it was about then I started experimenting with sort of V60s and and it's been a never ending journey since and I'm I'm still just an enthusiastic amateur.
0: <laughs> I would imagine with your background, you, you're you looking at everything, you, you know, like I, I've known people who make films whenever they watch a film, they're thinking, how is this film made? And actually it kind of sucks because they can't enjoy the movie <laughs> because they're like, yeah. mm, I don't know how did they build that bit and how do they do that bit? And uh, I, I think for you, like it, it, the conversations we've had, you're looking at what's happening in coffee, Um, you know, from a, Not really just from a product point of view, because why do you create a product? Well, you create one because it's going to make a cup of coffee. So you're looking at what people want from coffee and then going, oh, that's interesting. People use these products as lots of holes, right? People using products going, uh, well, this is what we've got. And then your brain starts to go, well, how could you do this differently?
1: yeah an engineer starts to tinker all over the place with with those kind of products, but fortunately for you at least or or unfortunately for you maybe you you designed a coffee product that I really, really believed in, and it you know hits all those boxes, and you live locally enough to me that I was like, i've got to tell him how to how we can improve this and make this a fantastic product
0: yeah, hundred percent believe it or not, <laughs> I do value. <laughs> all crit- all critique it's all valuable
1: you've got a growth mindset Maxwell that's what yeah. that's what makes you different
0: well thank you very much well uh, let's let's stop flattering me and uh <laughs> I, I want to one of, the th- one of the places I wanted to start was this um just <laughs> I want to start big <laughs> so okay. people always say water for coffee starts big it starts with the beginning of the universe but uh <laughs> but with th- with this I think for me yeah. it all starts with ideas right we all have ideas Yeah. And you know, I guess one of my questions is, well, what makes a good idea and a bad idea? And then once you've kind of defined that, what's the journey to turning that idea into reality? And in this case, I think let's focus on making a product, you know, so yeah, sure. someone out there has got an idea, they've, they've seen a, a problem they'd like to solve, or just something that could be a bit nicer, etc. And then they go through that journey, you broke this sort of process up into three main areas.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, um, when you work in the in the new product innovation department of a technology company.
0: Can we can we just we'll just stop there for viewers? Um, I just think it's worth to define the difference. So new product innovation
1: mm-hmm. and new
0: product development, which are often reduced yeah. to acronyms MPI and MPD, right?
1: That's all right. Yeah. So new product innovation is making creating the new ideas. So the invention from inception to will it work? So can Looks we like can the, we make this work?
0: So it's like the the light bulb moment through to proof of the concept.
1: Yeah. And should we sell it? Should we make this?
0: And then MPD?
1: And then MPD are the the troopers in the trenches that actually take that, um, that idea out of you and say, okay, well, how are we going to actually manufacture this? How are we going to make this work? How are we going to test it? How are we going to make sure it doesn't kill people? How do we make sure it doesn't break in half the second time you use it? And and they 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 do a lot of the heavy lifting of so we we might thrash out something that's out of cardboard or you know a, a working prototype and they're the ones that have to make it work ten thousand times.
0: Yeah. yeah, amazing. I I I I resonate with NPR. <laughs> <More than MPR. laughs> yeah. The thing is, when you 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 get forced to be interested in MPD. Yeah. Because when something's real and you go through that process, you know. The next time you do something, you're like, OK, we're going to think about the MPD a lot more before, before yeah. we build this thing. But- I
1: think um, MPI is where people start when they want to create something and they think of their idea and then they get dragged into MPD when they realize they've got to make it.
0: And you, you work predominantly in MPI.
1: Yeah. And, and when you tell people you work in an MPI department, you realize everybody has got an idea because everybody wants to tell you about it and tell you how good their idea is. So, you know, yeah, e- everybody has got an idea and and hopefully we can tease out some techniques to, to sort of identify if you have a good idea or not.
0: Right. Um, and how does, that, how does that go? It's not simple. Yeah, so, <laughs> that's so, a bad idea or that's a good idea. For me personally, there's some ideas that clearly you're like, oh, yeah, that's clever. And then yeah. there's ideas where I'm like, oh, yeah. And then it, it it reveals itself to being actually really quite clever over time. So there's sort of left-field ideas, obvious ideas. So I guess you need a robust process to understand the value of an idea rather than just your opinion of it, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Because you come burdened with so many different ideas as to whether that's good or not, whether that tunes with your idea or not
0: you you frame it as the uh, comedian
1: yeah so 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 there's um there's three sections that i like to break an idea down into one is the problem so you've, have you got a good problem to solve it's step one uh then the section two is technology so do you have a great technology going into this idea i think we'll stick a pin in that and come back to that one a bit later on and then design so do you have an idea that can be resonated in something that people are going to love? So typically when people buy a product, they, they come across the problem and we'll get into why comedians are really good at finding problems. But they, they will typically buy a product because they love it. So they've fallen in love with it. And that's the design aspect of it. It's, got, it's alluring. It's brought them in. They're like, oh my God, I need to have this in my life. Um, but that's not the reason why they tell you why they bought it, because that would be quite ridiculous. If if everyone, if you ask, oh, why did you buy that? Oh, I just fell in love with it. It's not language that people tend to use. They say so. To, there was,
0: has to be a reason, a justifiable reason. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There's got to be some specification where they say well, I bought this because it grinds 20% more accurately, and that's where your technology part of the the story comes in. You know, you you're proven better, and you're proven better on different levels. So, um, so to, to sort of help these three different um, areas, we developed three different characters to allow you to get into the right mindset to put the right hat on. So, to find the problem, you put on the observational comedian hat. Um, yeah, and we, we talk about that afterwards. And that's the crack
0: a gag, Cracking. I know. I, I feel like we should start with the comedian because I feel yeah. like that's the identification of the. Of the sure. Problem. Yeah. I think the word problem is interesting, isn't it? Because you know, I don't know, you, you, I think of a problem, you think of something difficult <laughs> and yeah. big and a big problem to solve, but there's little problems everywhere that um, could be solved. Some that maybe don't need to be solved. And that's where this comedian idea, I, I remember when you framed it to me, I found that really interesting because what I took from it was, comedians are doing this all the time. They're pointing out something that everybody in the room has experienced. Everybody in the room resonates with but they didn't realize they did until the comedian points it out and so exactly that yeah that's really where a lot of good product ideas come from right because you've proven you know already you've got an audience that resonates with it like a good joke resonates with everyone in the room
1: precisely that it's you're looking for that thing that is experienced but not noticed so it's just on that threshold and comedians spend their lives looking the the observational comedians will watch people and sort of see what are they doing that's quite stupid that they don't realize that they're doing that as soon as you go isn't it stupid that you do that they're like oh my gosh and what you're looking for when you're designing products in that respect you're looking you're looking to be able to pose the problem and say isn't it stupid that you do this and they they sort of light up and they, they sort of roll their eyes and think, oh God, that is stupid. And they want to snatch the product off you as quickly as possible.
0: But that's particularly interesting to me because I used to go up to Bath uh, School of Management and work with some of the marketing professors. And they used to have this um, on the, <laughs> with the MBA course on day one, um, this professor would say to everyone in the room, can you please think of a, a brand that's rubbish that you hate? That's where we're going to start. And everyone yeah. would think of one and you go around the room and everyone would say their brand. Um, I don't know, Cafe Nero, Ugg Boots, uh, Heineken, whatever. And uh, so he goes, this is lesson one, right? Those brands are all brilliant because you'd heard of them. Yeah, You, you just don't resonate with them as an individual. And actually, if you're going to be in marketing, you're not, you shouldn't get into it just to do the things you want to do. You need to really sort of get in the mind of the tribe of the people that that product relates to. And in a way, that's what you're describing with the comedian, because most people's ideas, when you said, oh, people find out you work in MPI. And um, it's the same as when you open a coffee shop and someone comes in and goes, you know what you should do? <laughs> and what they're, they're, not, they're not thinking, oh, you know, what's right for this business? They're thinking, what do I want?
1: Mm, yeah. And Let me like, learn you what you should do.
0: <laughs> yeah, but in a way, they're just saying, it's some, they're just in their own head and they're going, what would I like? But I think mm. what the observational comedian point does is it basically encourages you, to look at other people and think, you know, not just what do you do, but what do other people do, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think in the coffee world, there's two types of people you need to be paying attention to as an observational comedian. Um, one is the beginner. And it's very easy for, for coffee professionals to forget about the beginner. To be, for, if, you're, if you're cupping coffee, you're way past beginner. And so you're, you've forgotten what it's like to have the anxiety so you've moved off of instant coffee, and you're you're full of pride. You're thinking, right, I'm gonna I'm gonna make proper coffee now, and so you're you're there, and you're you watch some YouTube videos, and all of a sudden you need a timer, you need a grinder, you need a way of making it. Someone tells you the temperature of the water needs to be just right, and then they're saying, well, you, the grind needs to be just like. Uh, we're going for a course so like kosher salt and you're like okay so i, I handle kosher salt every day so this is going to be easy and you and you're, you're you're pouring you've forgotten to hit the timer and and there's all these ridiculous anxieties build up as a beginner that lots of experienced people forget about
0: and then who else do you have to understand and then there's,
1: there's the what i call the the frustrated um enthusiast so this is a person I would just, i would put myself in this camp. So, you know, I'm sat there. I've got a niche zero grinder. I've got a stag EKG kettle. I've got the Hario. I've got the Acacia timer. And I'm, I'm there trying to make an AeroPress. And I'm like, it's not consistent. I cannot make the same coffee twice. I can't make it delicious. And, and at that point, when I'm frustrated, you come along and this is what happened. You come along and say, you know, Luke, because I'm thinking, why well, come to your shop And I've got, you're you're making it with an AeroPress and I've bought the same beans and you know I'm grinding well and yada, yada, yada. And you say, well, you know, the water that comes into the coffee shop is actually filtered through this really technical, sophisticated system that you don't see because it's below the counter. And I'm like, oh, the water, of course the water. So then I buy one of your peak jugs, try the water and I'm like, bang, you know, fruity flavors start coming through. But until you had, told me that I experienced it, but it was below my threshold to realize that was what was the problem was
0: and I think that's what makes coffee you know unique and it's a positive and a negative it makes it fascinating but it's also what makes it uh, a barrier to entry it is just the sheer mm-hmm. amount of variables like yeah you know it it is it is crazy so so and and then you know as a comedian you can't identify you know one observation without understanding the others because yeah. it's hi- it's highly contextual right so you know, as, a, as an individual, you see something happen and you, you learn and you go, oh, so that change makes this difference. But actually, it only makes that difference with all other variables being the same,
1: mm-hmm.
0: for example. And you can
1: only see that if you're doing it all day, every day. You know, you live the coffee experience, whereas if I'm making one coffee a day, I probably can't see that, that change that I should be making. And so you need to come in as the observational comedian and be like, aha. ha, ha.
0: And so, for, for example, if, if you said, OK, look, coffee making is really hard. What, what about, let's say your big idea is um, to solve all of that, <laughs> to create a fully automated coffee system that makes the most incredible coffee in the world. You know, that, that isn't a bad idea, right?
1: It's an idea. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, but one of its challenges is you have to move on to the engineer, right? Because yeah. you might have an idea, but what's the technology you need to solve it?
1: precisely we need to we need to make a mini Maxwell and put him inside of a, a coffee machine
0: That would sell and... by the way <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: I'm sure we'd, that only, is, yeah. we'd only get one machine out the door but <laughs> <laughs> um, but you're, you're, you're bringing it on um, in good time onto the design point actually um, so you know that's part of the design section um, so as, as why I love it why I use it. The product has got to be exciting and empowering um, and the machine that you're talking about the Nespresso machine that serves a different kind of customer who, who has a different job to do uh, which we'll probably get to but the, the empowering aspect if I just press a button and it gave me it gave me a great coffee every time I'm not, I'm not going to feel like I have made that coffee and for a lot of people the joy of specialty coffee is that I have made that coffee been through the process. Um, it, I I think I've mentioned it to you before. It's like, um, you like lifting weights and it's like saying, well, I want to lift weights. And I come in with a forklift and say, there's no problem. I can lift these weights. You know, we'll just, we'll just lift it up on the forklift But you want to make, you want to lift the weights. It's like, I think it's why the Sage machines do so well is because they're aimed at a beginner market. There's very little confusion in there, and you hold on to a porter filter. So you're saying, "I'm a barista." There's no need for that porter filter really to be there, other than the fact that it makes it feel like you are making that coffee, and it's like you're sat behind a coffee bar, and you know you get that feeling. That's what you're looking for. You're empowered to make the coffee.
0: Yeah, I mean that's. A, I mean it's a, it's a really strong point because I think um, you know the the conversation about brewing you know good coffee often just becomes a theoretical one about how to produce a great coffee in a cup mm-hmm. and it, it forgets that um, i mean i often say that i think um actually a lot of the specialty movement is a very analog movement a bit like the rise in vinyl or something else and it's something you can engage with something physical um and it's a nice thing to do and obviously in you know it can be a. this is the thing this double-edged sword isn't it? it can be a nice thing to do or an excruciatingly painful thing to do uh, and then really that comes back to the, the customer type right which is there will be customers who want the Nespresso. Mm-hmm. And then there will be customers who want <clears throat> fully automated. There will be customers who want extremely manual. And so, um, innovation in a field like coffee isn't really one product rules all. It's one product or one approach rules eight, You know, it needs to own its tribe and its segment. Yeah, right?
1: absolutely. And uh, there's a there's a great um, <clears throat> there's a great innovation theory by a guy called Clayton Christensen who wrote the Innovation Dilemma yeah if you've heard that guy <clears throat> he's a hero among uh, innovators and he has this jobs to be done theory so you know the the reason why coffee innovation is so interesting is because there are so many different jobs to be done so you have someone who's making coffee as a form of self-expression they want to get these fruity flavor notes you have the person who wants caffeine and they they they're probably willing to just go for instant coffee because they just want the caffeine here you have the person who want some entertainment on a commute. So they want a hot beverage to be commuting with. Um, you have the, the person who's using coffee as a social lubricant. So if somebody comes around to my house and says, you know, would you like a coffee? coffee. I'm probably gonna make a Chemex because the two of us can sit there. It's a beautiful thing. You know, the, objectively, it looks nice. Um, probably can't make the best coffee with it, but you know, it's a nice thing to do. And we have it as a shared experience and that solves that problem really well. If I'm going out the door <clears throat> to go to work, I'm not making a Chemex. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm probably going to make an AeroPress or, you know, hit the, the pod machine. Um, so the fact that there are so many different jobs that coffee does means that there's lots of different areas for innovation. And, and you sort of have to pick which, which job you're solving. Uh, It's a bit of an odd sentence to say which job you're solving. Clayton says that you're basically hiring the object to do a job. Um, And so once you've picked what job you're going to be solving, that allows you to innovate and design the product so much better because someone's going to enjoy it for that reason.
0: And I I think I guess I'm guess i interested in also like how do you, you know, someone like yourself looking at coffee goes, oh, wow, you know, from a designer's point of view, this is... (laughs) Uh, and this, I, I found the same thing when I collaborated with scientists around research, uh, but then you hit quite a lot of barriers. And I think the product one in mm-hmm. particular, I feel like, you know, at the end of the day, for a product to be real, uh, there has to be enough confidence, support, belief, passion and all that it will work commercially. Yeah. And I wanted to come on to, um, the, the, the five, uh, types of innovation. Ah, Yes which uh, you introduced me to, which I found really interesting because you also made a wry comment in <laughs> the email that you sent me about this yeah. that most coffee innovation <laughs> sits at number five.
1: Yeah, oh, number one. Yeah, oh, number one. On number, um, yeah.
0: but, do, but do you want to go, do, you, do, you, do you, <coughs> you have them to hand? Do you want to? Yeah,
1: I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll take a stab at the guy's name because he deserves a huge shout out. Um, Genrich Alchula. Russian. Yeah,
0: I'm glad you had a go. I had a look yeah, at it I earlier think. and wondered. If
1: might try it. <laughs> he, um, he is a legendary Russian innovator who designed a system with a, a few others called TRIZ. Um, and it's a way of identifying the level of innovation that your product is at. Uh, let's start at the most uh, innovative and then we'll find that we get more towards coffee as we go down. Um, so level five is discovering a new principle. So a scientific principle. So if you, if you innovate at level five, you're essentially going to win a Nobel prize in science. Yeah. Um, so, uh, an example of that is something like, uh, x-ray emissions. So you've just found out x-ray emissions are a thing and you're that's Nobel prize, worthy, fantastic, no one knew about this before. So you're at five. It's
0: like a, um, it's a foundational principle of something. Of the it's way, a foundational of the the principle
1: yeah. yeah thermodynamics photovoltaics all of okay. these things that well, are way above most people including my head um and the number it's sort of correlated to the number of trials required to get to the answer so that's sort of an infinite amount of trials to 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 get that right, right. uh so oh. number Number four is uh, like a radical new function. So it's a never-before-seen function using that scientific principle. So a level four would be an X-ray used to see inside of your body. Um, so That's taken... interesting
0: because, it, for example, you could have a scientific principle that's been around for a long time, but nobody's figured out how to use it.
1: Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And if you want to make a level four innovation, you should be looking at all the level five stuff going on you should be reading all your scientific papers and thinking oh my god i could use this to make a product and so you know level four is we're using it for the first time in a product and we've made uh, x-rays to see through your body
0: right Okay. level
1: level three is when the product already exists but now you're extending it to a new market so it's come from an industry that is not related to what you're doing so for instance at jaguar land rover when we were casting aluminium wheels at the end of the production line, the wheels are x-rayed to find if they've got porosity in there or not. So we've taken x-rays from the medical uh, field and we've put it into imaging alloy wheels.
0: And just to be clear, sorry, uh, porosity in a cast alloy wheel would be bad because?
1: Uh, so a porosity is when you cast aluminium, a porosity is a small hole and yeah. the, it, it basically means there's less strength there. So that's where your wheel is going to crack. Yeah. Um, Cool. Like, okay. I, could, I could i could bore you to death on cast
0: yeah, we, will, um, we won't well. we won't do, we won't do wheels we can have a separate, <laughs> <laughs> separate separate interview just for wheels yeah
1: yeah okay so so number three was um was bringing something new to the market that's never been seen before in that kind of product um two is what's called qualitative improvement of the existing function what that means is all, you're bringing together bits that are already seen in the industry and you're basically merging it together. So when you see, so I had a, I had a timer doing my coffee and I had a scale doing my coffee and now you're just going to put those two together into one product. So you're basically just merging stuff. It requires very little innovation.
0: Yeah, basically um, it's like, um, it's almost like a, a, a play set. I've got this thing here and this thing here and I'm going to put them together and see what I can build. Yeah. And lots of people get very excited about
1: that, you know, and, and they think, oh, my God, why has nobody put these two things together before? Well, actually, the answer is in a lot of countries, not the UK, a product that does two functions says that those two functions are done badly. So it's actually much better to have a single use product for that thing, because it must have been designed better for that thing. Once you start sort of go-go gadgeting a product.
0: Yeah, I mean, thinking, there's, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a fundamental, I think there's a fundamental commercial reason why people have learned that which mm-hmm. is if i ask you to buy one thing which does two things it has to be a higher price point but the psychology is i don't want to pay double the price point yeah so i think often you see something which is like a go go gadget um, and i think there's a fair reason to be suspicious of whether it's as good as the perfect version of each right
1: yeah precisely yeah so it's getting very suspicious Um, And then level one, which is at the real bottom of the barrel um, of innovations is quantitative improvement. So this is just an optimization. So this is making something bigger or thicker or shorter. In
0: in coffee, for example, a pouring kettle that pours more nicely.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or Or a scale
0: that uh, is is a bit more accurate and responsive.
1: Yeah. Or a kettle that is slightly bigger or uh, an espresso machine that pumps at a higher pressure. For no apparent reason, just because more is better, right? Yeah, and so um, so, which so is, which did... is that
0: you're starting to explain, but we you noticed that we've had quite we got to number one, and we both have quite a few examples. Yeah, <laughs> so you know that was your joke in that email is that a, a lot of what you see presented as innovation in in coffee really really is number one. And yeah, maybe, and
1: number maybe... number ones are very cheap to implement as well. So if you well, they're cheaper and they require less research. And the coffee industry doesn't appear to have many big tech companies looking into it. Or I think, you know, that's going to change and we'll probably get onto that. But the the amount of funding and time required for a level one versus a level three or four is vastly different. Right. Um, and
0: so, you know, ultimately, level five, there's probably nothing more speculative than level five. It's like, yeah,
1: it's very blue sky.
0: Yeah. You just believe in, you know, uh, exploring the horizons of what's possible and it might take 10 years 15 20 years um and you might not achieve it which is much more tech you know if you look at funding in silicon valley it's this idea that okay by by chucking loads of money and great minds and people and stuff we believe that something good will come out of this like 9 out of 10 or 19 out of 20 of the projects may fail but that process has happened enough for people to believe that something good will come from that. Whereas, yeah, whereas in coffee, you know, I think, yeah, from from the business's point of view, if you're manufacturing, you know, you don't have, you're not charging enough for coffee grinders or machines or coffee to basically have the room to play and experiment and innovate. No,
1: and it and it requires more money than you think as well to be running these r d facilities and usually yeah, tell me about it <laughs> <laughs> a technology company will or the good ones that you really want to be a part of will hedge their bets and they'll they'll be they'll be spending lots of money on fives and fours and they'll be sort of tinkering away in the background, but there'll be some solid threes that they, I mean, to in, the, be, in the pipeline In the pipeline that are, that are going to be funding the fours and the fives. So, you know, you've, you've got, you can't just start designing a lab to try and do, you know, extraction science and have no income for that lab. So you, you'd also, hedge it against what's three.
0: What's interesting as well, I guess, is it, um, you know, it makes sense if you're doing some fours and fives in an industry where if you do find something, it can funnel through into a, a three two and one effectively
1: yeah exactly yeah I, ha- I made a little um example of making espresso espresso how how that could layer from one to five okay yeah um uh, if if that's useful go do it so, cool. so sort of a level one innovation in making espresso would be making it hotter brewing it for longer preheating it or adding more pressure which is seems to be the only sort of point of difference between a lot of these espresso machines right um number two would be merging so you're now putting in scales or pid sensor or a timer or you're not just relying on one function you're now adding more functions so you've you've merged a few different things into one espresso machine right and then i think three is where we've not three i would put spin into the category of um
0: yeah innovation spin spin is a um a startup based in the Netherlands uh, that has had a lot of funding, actually, uh, and basically has taken the concept of brewing coffee with a centrifuge, Mm -hmm. uh, which is actually how Virtuo's new Nespresso systems work. Uh, I don't want to get this wrong, because this comes with a big caveat of I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure the patent to brew coffee like this, which is it's not just a centrifuge. Importantly, it's a variable centrifuge, um, was created by uh, an engineer who worked at uh, Jacob Delagbert's. And I'm pretty sure he licensed it to Nespresso and then worked with Spin. So there's two companies out there really playing with this. And what I love about Spin that fascinates me is, so Centrifuge seems to be possibly the most consistent way to brew coffee, but also that out of one brewing system, you can brew high-strength espresso with crema or low-strength filter without, all from the same System, so it's pr- pretty amazing.
1: And you, so that you can already see the value of a level three innovation in the coffee there, right? They've taken a the centrifuge, which is not new science, and it's not a new product; it's never seen before. They've just taken it from somewhere else, not just—it's very hard work—but and implemented it into coffee. And when you when you put that level of innovation in, you get the rewards off the back end if it works. If um, it yeah, works, yeah. which is what what they're going to be getting. So at a level four for espresso would be something never before seen in industry at all, which is very hard to uh, come up with an example without getting companies into trouble that are (laughs) working on level fours. But, you know, something like, um, like imagine like a microwave extraction, a way of extracting coffee with microwaves, for instance, never seen before in any industry. So that would be a level four innovation. And a level five would be discovering that extraction behavior is different at different temperatures and pressures, and understanding the scientific method of of extraction, which is also incredibly difficult. But that would be that would be the level fives.
0: Yeah, that you 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 find a foundational principle about espresso brewing that is currently not understood.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And then you start implementing it into products as you go down. And you go
0: back down. Yeah. I mean, I personally, I, I feel myself drawn to. Um, you know i got into coffee because i was interested in five four and five for me you go on a journey to to ask why that's where Mm -hmm. you know and and then when you when you have somewhere which where you don't where you don't know why something works but importantly that stops you making coffee better right because just asking why because of why well that's amazing that's what we do with the world all the time it's amazing to understand the world but that that crossover is where the why is stopping you moving something forward right
1: yeah, exactly. There's there's an invisible barrier, and you're trying to find out what that is through and, asking one.
0: And uh, yeah, so I, I mean, I I think this is all fascinating. And one of the when we caught up last time, one of the bits that sort of stuck with me was this: the the timing of innovation and this idea. I think you said to me a fifteen year cycle. Yeah, a lot of industry for someone actually does. Let's say five and four. Um, but it doesn't come through into actually taking hold in the marketplace for 15 years and maybe longer, which would be, would that be electric cars or? Yeah, um, absolutely. Which is someone created it a long time ago. And that's interesting as well, because I think so far in this whole, you know, we're starting with saying, okay, what do people want? So the comedian, but it's more than that. It's that even if you create what they want, it might take a long time for them to become comfortable (laughs) with that technology. And but I don't know how you sum that up from an innovator's point of view. Is it, is it called something? It's called
1: Maya, M-A-Y-A, which is most advanced yet acceptable.
0: And it's, um,
1: it's been used on a lot of products, actually. There's, a, there's one guy, I forget his name, who, who came up with this principle. He designed things like the Coca-Cola bottle, for instance, and uh, a few other like, really key products. And it basically goes to say you need to have a product people get freaked out if you give them the future too early. And so they they often need baby steps to get there. And so, you know, if you'd have tried to give me Uber 15 years ago before the iPhone, I'd have freaked out and not know what to do about that. Right. Um, and so it's, you know, you need these stepping stone technologies to, to walk you there.
0: Yeah, and often I guess the Uber one's an interesting example and maybe the electric car one is too, is that a product doesn't sit alone. It's, a, it's something that you... It's in a world of, around other products and other ways that we do things. So it requires, uh, I think I've always said this about you know the recycling one, right? Which is, um, if you said to me, look, we've got a solution for takeaway cups, uh, this cup theoretically will 100% solve the problem, but it requires uh, a, a 50 or 100% change of behavior from consumers, yeah. right? Uh, alternatively, if you said, okay, I have a... A solution which is only 50 percent as good but it doesn't rely on a change of consumer behavior that one is actually better or, or at least better in the short term yeah. um, and so so that's the behavioral point really but i guess that really just comes back to the comedian like if you got that right you would have figured out that it wouldn't be adopted now anyway but i'm just fascinated that you have this idea and you you know people aren't ready for it but you commit to it for 15 to 20 years
1: yeah, I've been around those kind of projects that that are sat in a lab. And whenever you go into the lab, you go, whoa, that is remarkable. And but the, you know, the and the investment is enormous. But the apart from your early adopters, the main population are not ready for the product. Um and if you launch it too early, then it you end up taking all of the hit on trying to educate people as to why this product, why people should buy this product because they have no idea about that. So you, you end up funding all of the marketing budget to try and educate people as to why, what this product even is. Um, and you don't get the payback. In fact, it might just sink. And then five years later, someone pops up with the same idea. I'm very, There's a little education piece needed now and, and makes it more of a success. But for yeah, your I- level level threes and twos, and perhaps level fours, you just need to be looking at what's already been available for five years you know and and think well that's going to come of age in the next five years but
0: that's really interesting right because i would say a lot of people's intuition would be the opposite they go oh it's been around therefore it mustn't work mm-hmm. but actually being able to go oh it's been around but it came out at the wrong time it hasn't resonated with customers Now's the time to represent this to people i think that's a very interesting concept i think People often believe that an idea has to be, you know, a five, basically. It has to be something no one's ever thought of. And I think that's really interesting is that innovation doesn't have to be that.
1: No, it doesn't have it. And it is very rarely as clean cut as you think it's going to be as well. You never really get the light bulb moment. Jerry Seinfeld um, says this about his jokes, and it, it's the exact same about innovation. You can feel like you've just created the best idea you've ever had, and you go and tell someone and they destroy it immediately nobody ever thinks that your idea is a good idea and 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 he says that um he gives himself this this grace period where he says once he comes up with a joke he will sit on it for 24 hours and not tell a single soul about it and he will revel in the joy of creating that joke and then after 24 hours he'll go and look for some some sort of constructive feedback because you need to give yourself that sort of joy that you've invented something before you give everybody the opportunity to just come and destroy it for you.
0: Yeah, Um, I think the, um, but that that, that bit there is fascinating to me. And I guess in pure innovation, but just in everything you do is, you know, I think it's very valuable to get feedback, right? But actually mm -hmm. not all feedback is valid. You need to ignore some of it that is often where it gets interesting. Um, and I think with innovation and, um, you know, like proving that an idea has value, like focus groups, they all have these challenges. I went, I used to go to the gym with this guy who did the psychology of uh, product development uh, in terms of that a lot of product development historically is done off focus groups, which yeah. are complete a complete mess because uh, people don't tell you what they actually think. They tell you what they, think they should say now they've been asked the question. And this yeah. is why the internet's obviously revolutionized a lot of behavioral commercial science is, you know, how many times you visit that uh, website? Oh, I don't know, three. And then, uh, well, the internet says you did 20 visits.
1: You <laughs> spent six hours on your phone today. <laughs> yeah, oh, right, six,
0: exactly. Or the famous yeah. one, I think, is the smoking one. You know, um, the, he was saying that his wife would say, she, you know, she doesn't smoke because she doesn't want to smoke. But then yeah. two days later, she has a fag, but, but she wouldn't say that is her smoking. So there's all this you have to unpick when you ask someone to give some feedback.
1: Yeah, you sort of just need to give it to them and see if you get the comedian laugh. Like That's the greatest thing about comedians. They know if their joke's funny because people laugh at it. So they get that instant feedback. And, um, and there's the famous Steve Jobs quote. He says that people don't know what they want until you give it to them.
0: I'm really interested in cultures and environments that help with innovation and creativity well, how do you how do you foster you know the right balance between sort of like rampant idea creation um <laughs> but also yeah. you know doubling down on the good ideas developing them in the right way building these teams because um, i was listening to a podcast recently about the um it was basically how to have how to stopped making <laughs> bad decisions uh, but it was really for me it was about the bias that comes with your own project so yeah. in an organization, uh, everyone gets given responsibilities and they end up with projects and those projects become their babies. And then they stop being as critical about that project as they would be about others because it's their baby and it reflects their success. And this mm-hmm. particular podcast you know, had a strong statement uh, that this woman had put this project together for hydrogen energy. And the idea was um, uh, she had 18 months and she got to the 18 month point. She'd gone around the world Uh, develop the supply chains, the partners, and actually, she went back to her bosses and said, "Uh, it doesn't stack up, I think you should shut it down. And they gave her a bonus for shutting it down. So they were rewarding failure, because yeah,
1: fantastic,
0: because it was the right type of failure, right? Yeah, I guess, you know, right, all the way full circle to the beginning of this uh, chat. And you said, you know, everyone's got an idea. So Mm. You know, in a, I, was, I think that's often, this might not even be a brand new product idea. This might be in your business, you know, how should we sell our coffee or what should the marketing look yeah. like or should we do an event or should we should give we put away tables
1: stuff? there or not?
0: It could be anything like, yeah, you know, how do you build those teams and environments that, you know, uh, become like a positive channel of exploring those things rather than just everyone's got a different idea?
1: Yeah, well, I think a lot of that is embedded into the people, um, the people that you choose to surround yourself with um, and then the frameworks that you're using. I mean, most people don't have a framework for anything. Most people don't choose to to make a decision based on, um, on something that they've pre-agreed that we're going to make this decision based on. So some of the most creative and innovative places I've worked have often started with the group of people deciding what success looks like to them. Um, and then you ask for criticism on your idea. Am I meeting success? I, I'm, self, I'm very doubtful of myself and my own ideas. And to be able to have the vulnerability in a group of people to say, I'm not sure this is any good. Do you think this is any good? Mm. But then once you're at the idea stage, the only real way to find out if you've got a good idea is the, the Mark Randolph quote is to collide it with reality. Like yeah, an idea is only an idea whilst it's in your head, you need to get it out. So some of the most creative people I've been around are are incredibly skilled at getting it out of their head. Very quickly. And
0: and that's, I guess, is interesting because that brings you into this area of what, you know, I I often tussle with this idea of minimum viable product. Yeah. Because I, I like to make something, I like to figure out, okay, well, how do you just make it into something real? Like that's better than it not being alive, right? But the flip side of that is, oh, I don't want to make it real unless it's perfect. Yes. Right, which is, and, that, and I think I see this in, you know, whether you're going to open a coffee shop and you spend years reading every book and talking to every, rather, you know, there's things you're only going to learn when you open that coffee shop. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the same with a, a product. So there's only things you're going to learn when you, and this isn't just about the customer, this is mass manufacturing. You're going to come across, you're going to have to keep solving problems. You know, if you're the most meticulous planner in the world and you spent 10 years planning this product launch, you will have problems when it launches. But yeah. that line between this is good enough to launch and keep working on versus this isn't ready, we can't launch this, that's interesting, right? Like deciding yeah. that.
1: That's often based on whether the person making the decision has got a growth mindset or a fixed mindset. So if the person wants to look good and it's about you know the ego and it's about whether I've, I'm going to, sort of be received well because this product works really well you're more likely to hold on to that product and never let it see the light of day because you want it to be perfect whereas if you're saying i want to get better at this and we can make this better but we've done the minimum uh that we need to as in we've definitely hit a comedic problem people are resonating with it we've designed something that is a gr- has a great silhouette people love it people are drawn into it and it's got a technology even if it's not working all of the time, you at least know that you're onto a successful product Um, and then people will fall in love with it and people will give you feedback on the product and and that's when you improve it.
0: And I think um, it really is about the product segment you're working in, right? Because, you know, the risk of doing that with, you know, I don't know, a wallet or something. I mean, if if it goes wrong, what goes wrong? Someone goes, I don't like this. Whereas, yeah. you know, if it's biotech or, <laughs> and it goes wrong and, you know, there's risk of side effects or death, you know, so, so I guess that minimum viable does depend really yeah. on the risk, right? To the, to the- there's,
1: um, there's a, We're getting into the MPD world there. And what the, what the MPD world uses is something called a DFMEA. Engineers love acronyms. Yeah. Um, and it's probably the most hated document by any engineer. And it shows how important it, it is that everybody still uses it. Everybody hates it, but everyone still uses it. And it basically is a document that makes you go through logically what's the worst thing that could happen with this product. So, uh, let's say a kettle, for instance, or oh, the handle might snap off. Okay. How bad are the results of that happening? Is somebody going to get injured? Yes. Okay. Well, if someone's going to get injured, how many times is it, is the durability cycle? I don't know. Maybe someone's going to pick it up a thousand times. Okay. Then we're going to test it a thousand times and make sure it doesn't break. Whereas if something, if the problem is more, oh, this might annoy somebody and the scoring is really low and the risk is really low, then you're more likely to let it through if it doesn't pass that test. Yeah. But if someone's likely to die or there's a legal reason why there's, it, it's it, full it of materials... Fringe
0: on IP or... Yeah,
1: yeah. exactly. So, so you use this document to find out what your level of risk is to the product. And then you design test methods to design them out. And only once those like high-scoring problems are proven that they're not fatal um will the product be allowed out into the world
0: interesting and, and just to, and just to round this up I, we could talk about so much of this for so long uh, the i think we've probably touched on this a little bit already uh, what do you think within the world of coffee and i guess i think we've talked a lot about preparation of coffee and i think you know there's innovation potential throughout the whole supply chain of coffee but um, what do you think some of the key areas that, that could have a lot of potential for innovation in coffee are?
1: I think, I think there's going to be more tech companies entering coffee in the next five to 10 years. I think at the moment, it feels like coffee has a few uh, you know, medium-sized companies, perhaps, um, that are hitting level twos and, and ones. Of, um I always think of making coffee like baking a cake um, it's quite you, you can never guarantee someone is going to make a good coffee. There's so many variables in there you know you've got all the different variables so as a as a as a uh, product manufacturer I can't guarantee you good coffee. I can only guarantee you better coffee and there's if you think of making a cake it's the the ingredients, lots of equipment and I think so many people at the minute are hung up on designing a better spatula. They're, they're thinking, okay, maybe maybe my tamping little rig uh, needs to be better. Maybe these little things need to be better. But there are tech companies looking at improving the oven and improving the whole experience. Um, and I think those sort of bigger ideas will start to come into the fore. But to give the average person a bad spatula isn't necessarily going to ruin their cake if they've got an oven that doesn't work or if they've got a mixing bowl that's got holes in it. You know, there's... um. I think probably stretch that analogy a bit too far, but the the world of coffee, I think, is is going to see some quite large differences, and a, a lot of the Kickstarter products um, are much better designed. There's lots of nice aesthetics going on on Kickstarter, but I think um, I think a lot of the bigger companies will start to enter the
0: game, and that comes back to the value piece. I think with with um, you know being a you know seeing whether we're talking about paying more for green coffee or sustainability at a farm level, ultimately you have to increase the potential value. Uh, and that's what allow, you know, gives you headspace for more innovation, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Cool. All right, Luke, well, I'm, I'm going to leave it there. It's been great. Thanks for sharing your sort of thoughts and insights from, a, from an innovation design background. Um, and yeah, let's see, let's see what the future of innovation in coffee holds. Yeah, that's
1: great. Thanks for, thanks for talking, that
0: And that is a wrap. This definitely won't be the last conversation on innovation in coffee. They are probably endless. Now, if you have a particular thought or query and you'd like to reach out to Luke, you can find him at, at LukeTheInventor on Instagram. I put his handle down in the description below. And please also remember that it is my Patreon that supports the creation of these videos. Uh, and also, if you liked and enjoyed the video, please do like, share and subscribe.